if you would, and if you're in Luke, stay there and move to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. As we come to this season and we think about the concepts of Christ from the very beginning, eternity past, we think about his life on earth as an infant, think about his walk among men, we think about his testimony of his life, we think about how he was willing to come in the flesh and give up his life that we might have life. Passage that Chris just read, and it always is a passage that part of that that magnifies to me is which says, You want the rocks to cry out and do what you're supposed to do. In other words, we're supposed to praise Him. And I believe that one of the things I've learned in all these years of ministry is one of the key things that's really missing sometimes in our worship is that of praise. And uh, we need to praise Him uh, because. Every day we celebrate the resurrection, not just Sunday or Easter Sunday, but we celebrate the resurrection because of the resurrection we have life and we have hope. So in your mind today, you know, is there something that you would, uh, thinking I would praise the Lord for that, and you would praise the Lord for his salvation, you would praise the Lord for his grace, you would praise the Lord for his mercy, you would praise the Lord for him giving himself for you. So How's the last time when you said out loud where someone could hear you praise the Lord? Been a while? Let's say it together. Praise the Lord. Say it again. Praise the Lord. Why do we praise Him? He's worthy. He's worthy of our praise. Listen, if God, Christ the Son, the Holy Spirit, never did anything else from this moment forward until the world ends, you have so much to praise him for, you couldn't get caught up if you didn't do anything else. So let's look at Luke 22 and see what the Lord, as we come to the table this morning, a supper, a time to remember. Let's read in, in Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 14. Jesus speaking to the disciples says, when the hour had come, that's really sundown is the time. When it had come to the portion of the day, the last supper, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Literally what he's doing is preparing them for what's coming. Because they have a life to live after he's going to be gone. He's going to leave them and give them the responsibility of the gospel in the earth. As he's going to be, they're going to be his apostles in those days. It says, for I say to you, verse 16, I shall never again eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. What is the Passover? It's a symbol. It's a reminder of Egypt. Remember when they took the blood and put it on the doorpost, the death angel passes over? It's a picture. Every time we come and we see, we saw about the blood sacrifice. It all began with a blood sacrifice. Even back in Genesis with Cain and Abel, there was a blood sacrifice that one offered, one did not. So it's always been a blood sacrifice. And those that had the blood over the door in the land of Egypt, what happened? The death angel passed by. And the same thing is true of you. If you're marked by the blood of Christ based on salvation, you've been redeemed, then the death angel will pass by. As far as the spiritual death is concerned, you will live forever with the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 18, For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when 
he had taken some bread and given thanks. He broke it and gave it to them saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when he takes the bread at the table, the disciples sitting there, what it is is a picture of what's about to happen. That his body is going to be broken on the cross. And it's a picture. And when we come in a moment to the cup and to the bread, be reminded that he shed his blood for you. And his body was broken for you. And what did Jesus say in other parts of John? He said what? I am the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. And my life was broken for you that you might know me and the bread of life. So it's so important we understand it's a picture of his broken body. In verse 20, and he says, In the same way he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out for you, speaking of himself, it's literally preliminary to the institution of the supper is what it is, for you is the covenant of my blood. But behold, the hand of the one betraying me is with mine on the table, for indeed the Son of Man is going as he had been determined by woe to that man by whom he was betrayed. And they began to discuss among themselves which one of them it might be who was going to do this thing. Father, I pray that you would open the eyes of our heart and we would see your word. Father, we would be caught up in you and what you have done and what you will do future, what you're doing present. We ask you, Lord, to give us a, a spirit of anticipation a spirit of expectancy, knowing that you desire to build your church, your way for your glory. We give you praise. Lord, there'll be one here this morning that's never come to Christ, that never trusted him as Savior. Might you speak to them this morning. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning when we look at the supper, a time to remember, used to, and still many churches today, smaller churches and even maybe some large ones, they have what they call the communion table. And on that communion table would be a statement at the front of it. Remember what it said? This do in remembrance of me. Remembrance of what? Well, let's look at four things that I want you to see out of Scripture. And I will not read all the Scripture because they're numerous, but I will just share some things with you. Remember that me, he's, what he states. And when we think about remembering him, we, our mind immediately goes to the cross. Our mind immediately goes to the empty tomb. But First of all, I want you to see if you're jotting some things down, the first principle is his willingness. His willingness. John 1.14 says the scripture said, and the scripture says that, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God the Father, the Creator, who spoke and the world was, came in the flesh to walk among men, to live among them. Literally, the word means to pitch his tent. He came and pitched his tent among us to live among us and then die. For us. So it's his willingness. God was willing to become flesh and dwell among us. Listen to me very carefully. God is as much man, as much man as he is God, Jesus in the flesh. Theologically, it's what you call the hypostatic union. The two become one. It's one. He's one in the flesh, he's one in the spirit, but he's one. It's one God. And so we see his willingness to leave heaven and come to the earth. What was he willing to do? Willing to be our Savior? Willing to die on the cross, he knew what he faced, he knew what was coming from the very time he came. This is God's preordained plan in eternity past. It's so important that we understand that it's willing to be our Savior, willing to be our sacrifice. In John 19, he sacrificed himself for us, he gave himself up for us. Remember what he said in the garden? If there be any other way, do what? Remove this cup from me. There was no other way. This was God's plan. 
from eternity past that he would become the son, that he would become a baby in a manger. He would become flesh and dwell among us. And when he came, he would then ultimately die on the cross of Calvary. Then he would come down from that cross and be buried in a borrowed tomb. And then, that'll be next Sunday. Okay? Willing to be our Savior, willing to be our sacrifice, willing to be our servant in John 13. The passage in John 13 is amazing. They're in the upper room prior to his crucifixion, and all the disciples were sitting around the table. And there was a, there was a tradition that when people came into a room or whatever, there would be a, a, a servant there, and that servant would do what? Wash their feet, right? He would wash their feet. And so all the disciples come in. They've been on the road that day. They've been traveling. The roads were dirty. There were no paved roads. Some may have been barefoot. They may have been wearing sandals, but their feet were dirty. <coughs> And they came into the room and they sat down and they began to walk, move around the table and those discussions happened. All of a sudden Jesus gets up from the table, takes off his outer garment and gets a basin and a towel. And what does he do? Jesus Christ gets down on his knees, each disciple goes around the table washing their feet. Dirty, filthy feet. Now think about this. These are the hands of God washing the feet of these disciples. There's John, there's Mark, there's Matthew, there's Peter. Does he wash Peter's feet? Though he's the denier? Sure he does. Yes, he does. He washes his feet. Then he goes around the table, and there's Mark. Bartholomew, there's, there's others that are there. And all of a sudden, he comes to one other guy. His name is Judas. Does he wash his feet? Does he wash the feet of the betrayer? Yes. Yes, he washes the feet of the betrayer. Now listen to me carefully. This is the epitome, the epitome of servanthood. This is the epitome of being a servant. This is what we've been called to be. And we serve in misundry ways. Don't miss this now. We serve in ways that are all different. I serve in a way of giftedness, and God has called me to do what I do. Kelly serves, and you serve. All of us serve. But when Jesus is serving, can you imagine what they're thinking? Think with me a minute. What are they thinking? This is the teacher. This is the master. He's washing my feet. Humility had to come over them. But what it was that they were going to go wash the feet of others, and that's what they were to do. And let me ask you a question. If Jesus would wash the feet of Peter and he washed the feet of Judas, may I ask us a question? Whose feet will we not wash? Who will we not serve? Is there anyone you won't serve? That's the question. Jesus was willing to serve anybody and everybody. Amen? All the way through. Willingness to be our Savior, willing to be our sacrifice, willing to be our Savior. Today, He's willing to meet you where you are, love you as you are, to conform you. Why did He save you? Why did He save you? Don't you dare say go to heaven. Because that is not why He saved you. That is a byproduct. He saved you to be a glory to Him here in this earth. He saved you to be a servant to mankind. He saved you to be a witness unto Him. He saved you to give glory to Him. He saved you to walk with Him. That's why He saved you. If He had been the God that we think He is, if He had saved us, why didn't He just 
All we had was heaven to do. Why didn't it just take us out and get us rid of all this stuff and we wouldn't have had, had uh, heart surgery or appendicitis or smallpox or whatever we didn't have. We had it, but he didn't. He left us here in the earth. To do what? To serve him. To serve him. To honor him. So when we come to the table in a few moments, ask yourself the question, who will I not serve? The Lord is serving us today. As he sits at the Father's right hand, who will we not serve? A supper, a time to remember. The second thing I want you to see is his witness. His witness. In John chapter 1 and verse 7, John 1, 7, the scripture says this, Reading from verse 6, there came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light, about the light. So what we see here is his witness. He came, John came to witness of Christ on behalf of the light. He was not the light. Jesus was the light. Jesus was a witness of himself. What did he witness to us about? What did he offer us? He's talking, he's a, he's a, he, his witness is that of a giving God, John 3, 16. You know the verse? For God, what? So loved the world. Now, if you stop there and look at that verse, ask you a question. What do you think is the, the primary word? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Who's ever believed in him should not perish but do what? Have everlasting life. You ready for the key word from the text? So. You can't measure that. You can't measure his love for you. It's immeasurable. He loved you so much, loved you so much that he went to the cross willing to do that. He's a giving God. He's a gracious God. God gives us grace every day. Every day we're graced with grace. You're here this morning because of one thing, grace. Grace. God gave you another day to live, another moment to be in his world and to serve him. And then he's a witness of the glorious God that we know. We're to be willing witnesses. Remember his command, Acts 1.8. When the Spirit has come upon you, you shall be what? When the Spirit has come upon you, you shall be what? My what? Witnesses. Witnesses. Those who tell, and we're to go forth and tell. So what we're looking at is the concept of why he came. And we remember his great work for us on the cross. Remember his compassion. What did he say when he's on the cross? He says, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. Now, listen to me carefully. If Jesus on the cross is forgiving all, all, all his forgiveness is available and he's willing to forgive all. The Pharisees, Sadducees, whoever it may be, says forgive them. They don't know what they do. Here a while back I, I heard my pastor say, those who are forgiven, forgive. That's a great statement. Those who forgive. As I asked a while ago, of, of of who will you not serve, I ask you this question, who will you not forgive? Something you've been holding to, something you've had for a long, you need, to, you need to get rid of that. And you offer forgiveness. Because if you're in Christ, you're forgiven. Listen to me carefully. You're not partially forgiven. You're totally forgiven. We can't count our sin, can we? Our sin is 
massive, but he's forgiven us. And we need to forgive those around about us for his glory. Well, remember, you're his witness. You're his witness. As he was a witness unto himself, you, we're to be a witness unto him. Third thing I want you to see is his walk. Look at John chapter 1, verse 35 and 36, just across the page. And again, the next day, John was standing with two of the disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. So what I want you to see in this, not only do you see his willingness to come, his witness while he was here, but his walk. His walk. He walked among men, showing men how to live and demonstrating the power of God. What did he walk in? He walked in the light. He walked in the love. He walked in loneliness. He was born in a manger. No major hotel, but a feeding trough. He was born in that. He came in the triumphal entry, which is, this is really the day of that, what we celebrate is his triumphal entry. And he came on a bar, a donkey. That's humility. Humility. And one of the great things that we need in, 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 in our lives as Christians to go forward and be what he wants us to be is humble ourselves. Are we willing to humble ourselves? See, it's not about, for me, it's not about what Kelly may do or may not do. It's not about what Dave may do or may not do. It's about me and my relationship to the Lord. I'm not responsible for anybody else. I'm a pastor, I'm a preacher, but I'm not responsible. You're responsible, right, for your journey and for your walk. And so what I'm saying this morning is he walked in light, he walked in love, he walked in loneliness and loyalty, and he walked in faithfulness. He walked in fruitfulness. Colossians 2.6. Scripture says, so if you receive Christ Jesus, so walk in him. What does that mean? We're to walk as he walked. We're to demonstrate his life. We will fail miserably when we try. We will fail miserably no matter what we do. But we get up and we go again. And we get up and we try again. But we, we're, we're never going to reach the point of perfection to where we don't sin or we don't do anything wrong. But we must Continue the journey. Amen? Walk in him. The word way in Scripture, we walk in his way. And the way means, always translates in the New Testament, a way of, a manner of life. How are you living life? Who are we serving? Who are we giving ourselves to? Whose feet are we willing to walk? Are we going to be Jesus to the world? That's the question. That's the challenge. Remember what he said to Mary and Martha when they were in, in Mark chapter 14, and they're in there, and Martha's in the kitchen. What's she doing? She's cooking, getting ready for the fellowship, right? And what's Mary doing? That's a question. You can talk in church, remember. What's she doing? Sitting at his feet. What's she doing? Listening to his voice. Looking into his face, hearing what, and, and Martha says, hey, Jesus, what about Mary? I'm in here doing all this work. Uh, need, somebody needs to get these biscuits out of the oven, and, and somebody needs to do this and do that. But, and Jesus said, what did he say? This is what he said to her. Martha, Martha, you're so worried about, concerned about so many things. 
And when we get like Martha, our mind gets off the kingdom and gets on ourselves. And listen to what Jesus said. Are you listening? He says, Mary has chosen the good part. Well, I can't emphasize enough, guys, that the significance of you throughout the week and me throughout the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, that's why I encourage you to be in Proverbs. Set at his feet. The only way you can set at his feet is being the Word of God. Reading the Word of God, studying the Word of God. And I want to encourage you, I want to encourage you. Somebody bite on this, please, this morning. Somebody move from reading to studying. It's one thing to read. It's another thing to study. I'll give you, let me give you a great tool. If you have internet at home, there's a great tool. It's called Precept Austin. It's a freebie. Precept Austin. It's got anything and everything you need on there. It's got word studies. It's got dictionaries. It's got Bible commentaries. It's got all different translations of scriptures. It's a great tool off the internet. And you can study the word. If you want to learn and grow in Christ, study becomes a part, not just reading. And I'll help you in that any way I can if you ask me to. I'll be happy to do that. So we're to walk in, his, in faithfulness, 1 Corinthians 4. We're to walk in fruitfulness, John 15. In Galatians 6, we're to bear fruit. We're fruit bearers. We're not fruit producers, but we're fruit bearers if we're in Christ. We bear fruit. Walk in, in his forbearance, Ephesians 4. Walk in fearlessness, 1 John. Walk in fullness, Ephesians 3. Can I encourage you? Don't walk in fear. Fear not. God is sovereign God. Nothing happened yesterday that God wasn't aware of. Nothing will happen today that he was not aware of yesterday. And nothing will happen tomorrow that he's not aware of today. Walk in his sovereignty. Walk in faithfulness. Walk in fearlessness because your God walks with you through life. That's why we come and we celebrate at the table the sacrifice of the King of kings and Lord of lords. We walk in him in our lives. Last thing, his work. Look at John chapter 19. John chapter 19. John 19 and verse 15. The scripture says, so they cried out. Well, let's back up to verse 13. Therefore, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at the place called the pavement, but, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now he was the day of preparation for the Passover. It's about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king! So they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief, chief, the chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So they handed him over to them to be crucified. And they took Jesus, therefore, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the, place called the skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with two other men, one on either side, and Jesus in between. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It was written, Jesus, the Nazarene, the King of Jews. So the, verse 21 says, So the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but that he said he was the king of Jews. And Pilate said, what I've written, I've written. He was the king of the Jews. He is king over all. The psalmist said the world is his footstool. He sets his king over all. And when we partake of the cup, I want you to remind yourself that this is a picture. This is symbolic of the body of Christ broken and crushed for your sin. His blood that was shed for your sin. 
That should break us. His work that he did was conquering. 1 Corinthians 15. His work was without complaint. His work was a choice. Remember what he said in the garden? He said, Lord, if there be any other way, if there be any other means, remove this cup from me. But there was no other way. From eternity past, etched in stone, was the crucifixion of Christ on the cross of Calvary for you. You're here today without Christ. He died for you. He bore your sin in his body. He took your sin upon himself. He took your penalty on the cross. Let's not ever forget that. Let's don't become Martha's. Where we're consumed with all the things that don't matter. Let's be consumed with what does matter. And that's our walk with the Lord. His work was complete. Remember what he said in John chapter 19 in verse 30? He cried from the cross, what? It is finished. The other day, well, a month ago or so longer, I was listening to Alistair Begg. Matter of fact, if you don't listen to Alistair, it's a, he's a great guy to listen to. He's from out of Cleveland. He's a Scotsman. Very strong biblical scholar and expositor. And he was preaching about the cross. And so the, remember the thief on the cross? And, and Jesus said to him, surely this, he, he said, remember me when you enter into your kingdom? And he said, surely this day you shall be with me in paradise. And I want to tell you what happened. And immediately that, that, that thief died on the cross, just that quick. And immediately he was transported into glory. Interesting, isn't it? I find that interesting because, you see, the thief didn't pray a prayer. The thief, the thief didn't walk an aisle of the church. The thief wasn't baptized. None of those things save you. Jesus does. And so the, Alistair kind of tells this little allegory about when he goes to heaven and he stands up at the gate. And he says, the angel says to him, Remember, that, this is just a story that he's telling. He says, who are you? He said, thief. He said, what are you doing here? I don't know. How'd you get here? I don't know. He said, have you uh, been baptized? He'd never, never heard about it. He said, have you forgiven of your sin? He said, I don't know what you're talking about. So the guy said, i got to get the head angel. So he goes and gets the head angel and comes back. Now, this is a story, okay? And he says to him, the, big, the main angel come to you and said, uh, are you pretty settled? Are you settled on justification by faith? He said, never heard of it. He said, well, are you solid in the scriptures? He said, I don't know what you're talking about. He said, how did you get here? He said, I don't know. He said, what? He said, how did you get here? And the man said this. The thief said this. All I know is this. And Alistair said it in his Scottish gold. He said, the man in the middle told me I could come. The man in the middle told me I could come. The picture of that is simply this. My salvation is not about what I did. It's about what he did. It's about his sacrifice on the cross. It's about his resurrection, as we will talk about 
next Sunday. Now, his work continues. His work is not finished. Though he is gone, he sits at the Father's right hand on the throne, his right hand, and one day he's going to come again when the Father says, Arise, my son. He has gone to prepare a place for you, John 14. Jesus said, If I go, a place, for go I'll prepare a place for you, for it not what true, what I told you. So he goes to prepare a place for us. Not only does he prepare a place for us, he says he continues to mold you into image. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, 29. The whole purpose of Christ in saving you is to conform you to his image. He wants to shape you and mold you. It's like, the, it's like Jeremiah talks about the clay and the potter, and the potter takes the clay and he molds it and shapes it and brings it into something that he wants it to be, and that's what God's trying to do in my life and your life. There's a little song that kids used to sing in Sunday school. I don't know whether they do anymore or not, but it was God's still working on me. Is he still working on you? I trust he is. I trust he is. So, his work continues. He's going to prepare a place. He continues to mold you into his image. He continues to to energize you for service. Listen to me carefully. Is there anything God can't do? Be careful. That's a trick question. Is there anything God can't do? Absolutely there's something he can't do. He can't lie. He can't lie. He can't turn back on his promise. But there's also nothing he can't do. Ephesians 3.20, my God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond that which you can think or hope for. What do you need to happen in your life? What do you want to see God do in your life? He's able. He's able to do that. Don't ever give up. Don't ever believe. You're praying for someone that needs Christ. Don't quit. He's able. You're praying for someone that's got out of the fellowship and moved on and they're not. Don't give up. He's still working. He's still working. He continues to energize you. He continues to build, to build his church. Matthew 16, 18. Up on this rock, I will build my church upon this rock, I will build my church. Remember, we talked about the last couple of weeks that we've talked about that upon this rock. What will he build? My church. Remember what I said? He's not going to build a Baptist church or Methodist church or Pentecostal church or Nazarene church. He's going to build his church. His church, his way. That's his activity right now. I'll close with this as we move to the table. Listen to this carefully. This is by an old gentleman by the name of A.A. A. Reeves. Probably somewhere back in the 1800s. He says this. In memory of the cross and shame, I take this supper in thy name. This juice of grape and flour of wheat, my outward man doth drink and eat. Oh, may my inward man be fed with better wine and better bread. May thy rich flesh and precious blood supply my spirit's daily food. I thank thee, Lord, thou died for me. Oh, may I live and die to you. That wraps up the cup in a very challenging message.
Let me live my life to thee. See, what does God want you to do in the days you have left? Some of us, many of us, not being morbid, just being honest, many of us will not be here in 10 years. If we just live and nothing, you know, it's 10 years, we won't be here. But someone will be. We have to keep moving forward. I was talking to Bob over here earlier. 86, you mind me saying that? And he's still, still moving forward, still wanting to grow, still wanting to be in church. That's the heart. I want to serve the Lord Jesus the many days as I have left. I'm 76 years old. Somebody told me the other day, matter of fact, uh, David Fleming, some of you know who David Fleming is, used to be the pastor champion. He told me, he said, I have to tell you this. I had lunch with him. He said, I have to tell you this, that you're, you're quite amazing to me that you still have, and he said this, you still have the heart and the stomach to stay the course and do what you're doing. I could easily move to East Texas and sit by the pond drive a tractor and bale hay. That's not what God designed me to do. I didn't sign up to do what I'm doing. I was signed up by the King of Kings. You can't quit, and I can't quit. As we come to the table, as we take the cup here in just a moment, I want you to think. Lord, I give you praise today for what you've done for me. I thank you that you're still working on my behalf. I'm, you still live today. Though you have died in the flesh, you live by the Spirit. And you live in me by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for life. Thank you for hope. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for the blessings of life. Father, thank you that you are a powerful, mighty, glorious, holy, loving God. Father, may we today say yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Whatever you have for me to do in the days I have left, I say, yes, Lord, I will do that. Scripture says that Jesus took the bread and he broke it. You had your cup. He reached for it, filled the top back, made a little piece of bread. It's a picture his body. Jesus was broken to the uttermost on the cross. For who? For you and for me. And when Jesus took the bread, he said, take eat, for this is my body, broken for you.
as we've taken the bread. A parallel picture is when the Egyptians have left Egypt and they want food. God says, I'll give you bread. And he sent them what? Manna. And it's poured out manna. It's a picture of the true bread that is to come. And he did come. And he went to the cross and shed his blood on the tree. We take the cup. As they sat around that table, Jesus said, this is my new covenant with you. My blood. It's a picture of what I'm about to do. And the disciples took the cup. And may I say to you, I don't think that they understood. Not until the cross. Then they understood. But he took it. He said, take drink. For this is the blood of my covenant. Poured out. Stand with me. We're going to sing and we'll be dismissed with the songs.